So there's a lot of uh, <coughs> skill to be encouraged, and uh, <coughs> obviously it all takes time. Yeah. So processes of, of samadhi take, uh, I think they take quite a quite a while. Just uh, you know, investigating the body, investigating how one experiences the body, investigating one's reflexes, attitudes towards the body, investigating the minds, why it gets so pulled out. And uh, so actually, samadhi does require investigation. Investigation is a cause for the arising of samadhi, of unification, of composure. It's also... um, one of the reasons why we develop that composure is in order to investigate things, because investigation is is a prime prime leader in awakening. So, skills of investigation. I think we all. Probably touch into the the Kalama Sutta, which uh, is one of those kind of famous but often mis misrepresented suttas, because it starts off saying, you know, you shouldn't just follow a teacher or a tradition, and then if you go, oh, that's good, so it sounds like it's going to just follow your own ideas. But then it goes on to say, you shouldn't follow your own ideas either. <laughs> Follow your own uh, cogitations, uh, views pondered over by reasoning. So these, these also you should not blindly believe. And it's also, uh, I think it's not about completely dismissing, but not blindly following. So it's not to blindly follow a tradition or other people, or to blindly follow one's own opinions and views, uh, or or, proce- or reasoning processes. So sometimes people dump the opinions of others but don't dump their own um, or just follow intellectual inquiry and then uh, the Buddha does say well what you should do is you should po- you should contemplate do these are these ex- mind states are these attitudes these behaviours physical, verbal or mental are they <coughs> commended do, do I value them? If I look at them, do I find them valuable? Are they valued by the wise? So we do refer to to other people, what we, we term the wise. We just, but we're sort of putting on hold and, and, and being conscious of it, not following it blindly, but actually, hmm, what's this about? And there's a recognition, there's a process or, or a medium of intelligence that's not just about thought. Um, it's not. It's not the. So it's something we we drop our thought processes into something wider, more sensitive, more tuned in. So the wisdom aspect, and we say this is a <coughs> process is called yoniso manasikara, or appropriate or attention that goes to the source of things. What's this really about? You know, where's, where's, as, as a 
so you get a feel for it. <clears throat> and this quality, suitable, appropriate, systematic, wise, careful attention, is is highly recommended. It's it's one of the uh, primary uh, factors that the Buddha encourages. Said to be one of the two basic supports. One is one's own wise attention, and the other is the skill of a teacher. You know, so the two two supports one's own wise attention and the skill of a teacher. Either you know, obviously a physical teacher or a book, but preferably a person you can talk to to support this quality. So, Yonisau Manisikara, wise, skillful attention, such that the Buddha says, um, whatever mind states are superior or inferior, skillful or unskillful, high or low, coarse or fine, giving these careful attention is a support. So giving careful attention to skillful or unskillful states, high or low, coarse or fine, mundane, obvious, banal, profound, giving skillful attention, this is a support for the development, for the arising and development of Dhamma Vijaya. And Dhamma Vijaya is another uh, term that can is about investigation. It means something like a <clears throat> Um, analysis or penetration of a phenomena. And the difference between those two, Manasikara, Yonisau Manasikara, and Dhammavijaya, is uh, perhaps subtle, but it seems that Yonisau um, Manasikara is about the, the whole handling, the stepping back from and the handling of a thought, a mind state, uh, an impulse, a passion, a belief, a worry, you know, just stepping back from it, naming it as that, you might say, saying, hey, what's this about? And uh, fundamentally the inquiry is, does this lead to my welfare, to the welfare of others, or not? Does it lead to Nibbana or not? Is it taking me to suffering or out of it? Does it generate suffering for others or not? You know, so it's that, it's the inquiry around the Four Noble Truths. And uh, Dhammavijaya is more concerned with uh, having, you know, cultivated that, penetrating the very, you might say, the structure of it. You know, what, what is this impulse, this feeling, this thing that's in my mind made up of? So Yonisomani Sarkara, in a way, places that uh, thought or whatever in terms of the cause analysis of skill of suffering or absence of suffering. You know, that, and then the Dhammavijaya looks into what's this about? So it's really more in terms of dependent origination. In other words, Dhammavijaya is saying this apparent strong view I have is actually compounded of a perception. Uh, an emotion, uh, a thought, a uh, contact impression. Uh, these, and any one of these alone doesn't do it. It's the compounding of, you know, I see that person, I get this feeling of he's a bully, I get that sense of fear, and because of that, 
you know, the feeling of defensiveness or anger comes up. So that's what it's made of. It'll take any one of those on its own, it doesn't stand up. Like if he's a bully but he's not doing, you know, he's somewhere else, it doesn't matter. But, you know, you start, so you start to investigate what is it that compounds things, that takes things, makes things solid, makes up our solidities, solidity of our personal world. Yeah? With Dorvijay, you begin to recognize that uh, <laughs> the only thing <laughs> that's really, that's really, uh, 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 you know, definite is that it's all relative. <laughs> it's all changing. Uh, it's not self. Mm. It all depends. Is he or isn't he? You know? Uh, some pieces of behavior may seem like that, but other pieces of behavior don't seem like that. You know, he's very nice to the cat and he <laughs> makes good bagels and, um, you know. But in certain places, this particular behavior comes up that I feel it does this to me. So then it feels like that. You know? So it all depends, isn't it? It's all very relative. And it's not that it's untrue, but it is relatively true and it relates to particular experiences that are not independent, they're dependently arisen they, they arisen because they happen to in my mind with its own sensitivities and uh, blind spots and so on yeah. so we can't say things actually exist nor can we say they don't exist we can say there is a relative dependently arisen existence and so it just this is obviously this is kind of seemingly in abstract, but but Dhammavijaya is really starting to to break up the solidity of the world we get stuck in, of time and place and people, and myself. Yeah, any given moment is actually a series of dots that have some some truth in them that are being lined up by a particular bias, the bias of fear, the bias of irritation, the bias of craving. You know. So that's what kind of solidifies things, these, these, these uh, biases. Of course, the fundamental bias becoming, which is that which makes things solid, binds things together, things take on an uh, which are really very fluid and, and amorphous, take on rock-like solidities with urgency written all over them. So whatever state, unskillful or skillful, superior, inferior, coarse or subtle, is to be uh, given careful attention so that once we've begun to recognize, well, you know, this is causing me suffering, or, or then what's it made of? This is causing me uh, well, well-being. What's it made of? Because mm. again, if we get the get the recipe right, what causes us well-being? I want to do that again. You know. So this. Um, and then what are the conditions for release? 
This is the this is the Dhamma Vijaya process. What's the what are the conditions that support release? Hmm? What well, supports well being? Say uh, moderation, uh, kindness, compassion, uh, being grounded in one's body. Um, you know, clear, clearing the mind. You know, these, these things we start to learn, skillful ways of just keeping ourselves feeling feeling good. Then what supports release? And we're... You know, this is an open question. I mean, because I put the terms in there, but was it, you have to get a feel for that in yourself as to where where those letting go um, synapses occur in the in the kind of in one's habits as a place where it just goes, oh, it lets go, and you keep checking into that. It happens very many times, but often it's only momentary. So you, you're embedded in something. And you go, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and there's a kind of lifting, or that it just passes. And so then, with meditation, you're becoming a lot more precise and skillful and immediate on that. Well, how the letting go comes around. But anyway, investigation. So these two terms. Yonisomanisikara, which is to do with the Four Noble Truths, and Demovijaya, which is more to do with um, interdependency, idapachyata, or dependent arising. Mm-hmm. This, called, this is made of that. You know. And uh, another um, little Sound bite or quote. It's not an exact quote because I can't remember the exact words. But uh, the uh, the theme of it is uh, the Buddha says, "Well, uh, lust, that kind of appetite, sensual appetite, passion, raga, is slightly blameworthy and is slow to uh, to get free of or to to." Get out of it's you know, slightly blameworthy. Anyway, it's not directly directly abusive. Malice is highly blameworthy and is fairly quick to drop. You feel that rising up of of anger or sourness or bitterness or spitefulness, and you, oof, because it's so unpleasant, you know, it's relatively easy to drop. Last because it's Pleasant, comfortable, you know, just sinking into a into a donut or a cappuccino or something. It's just really easy, easy ride, you know. <laughs> Under the duvet, just kind of everything's so soft and pleasant. And so it's uh, nobody really. You know, it's no offence, you know. You're not hurting anybody with that. So you just kind of. That's so it's the, you know, and that that need that wish for comfort. To feel, to feel comfortable and no longer alone. So, you know, so obviously, obviously sexual and emotional attachments are very uh, deeply 
wired in us because the feeling of companionship, support, warmth, apart from any kind of physical contact, just that sense of something there to support is is attractive. So, you know, you're not going to say this is evil, but uh, it is a bit fragile, that's all. (laughs) So it's a slow one because we don't really see it as that much, really feel the the distaste for it, the way that one does for anger, viciousness, spite, and so forth. And then it says also, it said delusion is... uh, highly blameworthy and very difficult to drop. So lust is slightly blameworthy and difficult to drop. Malice is highly blameworthy, relatively easy to drop. (laughs) For some people it isn't. (laughs) Anyway, and delusion is highly blameworthy and very difficult to drop. It says, so it's very important that you maintain, uh, there's, you only saw many sikara to all this, particularly to delusion. Yeah. Yeah. This is why you know, we start with attention, isn't it? Yeah. The skills of attention, just being more attentive and then deepening and widening one's attention to include things like how I open a door, you know, what's the point of that? It's not very important. It's not important, but it's important to maintain a continual on every moment vigilance because it's not. It's in that moment when it goes into automatic, habitual. You know, doing something that doesn't seem that important anyway. That the inner this this potential for delusion comes up like a like a veil of cutting corners. Doesn't matter. Gliding along, so what? That's oh, fine, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm doing fine, okay. And then, well, yeah, I'm really grooving. Yeah, and then crash. Wait, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> it's like you took your hands off the steering wheel. And yeah, it was right. Well, it was okay while well, the road was straight. <laughs> <laughs> then there's a sharp left-hander. Whoa, you're over the cliff. You know, you suddenly say something dreadful to somebody in the wrong time, the wrong place. It was supposed to be a joke, you know. Oh, no. Or or you you drop something, you know, crash into someone, you forget something, you know, and those are those are the small ones. Because in a way you with that uh without that constant attention it's like your wood wood is getting dry and it, then it easily catches fire. You know, just a spark the thing flashes. So but then uh, you know so that sense of real strong attention, what we're encouraging in certainly monastic training, the sense of attention over posture of the body, the robes, lifting off the arms bowl, cleaning the monastery every day, you know, learning the chanting. It's all these kind of the minutiae of the protocols that we observe, which can seem a bit tedious, like what's all this about? You know, or that you're just doing it to look good. You know, to look like nice, nice monks. You know, <laughs> but uh, which can be part of it. 
but the theme of it is to develop this sense of, of strong attention to as an ongoing theme. So you look around. When you're doing the chores, you really look around, like what, what needs to be done, not just going through the same automatic thing. Mm-hmm. Look around, check it out. Look in the places one hasn't looked. Shake mm-hmm. your robes every evening, so if there's any holes, you know, it's a, an offence to have holes in the robes, so you check it out, just open out robes out, you know, check that out. So that you keep everything in good order. And uh, there's, a, there's a benefit from that, of being developing this sense of being very much more focused on the moment, even though the object itself may be, you know, just a robe or a bowl or whatever, but the quality, we're giving quality attention to, to, the, to the present thing that's coming into consciousness, you're not somewhere else. I think this is one of the um, advantages that uh, there is in this particular training. So for maybe people have to, you know, develop their own, your own protocols and pr- around. Um, but it's good to recognize things like routines and, and duties and also clearing so you don't have too much to handle. You can give quality attention to, to um, when you have less quantity to deal with. So the renunciation is part of that. Also, one of the other features of uh, monastic life, which is first questionable and, you know, seemingly irksome sometimes, is the following, is following on, following the form, following the routine, following the tradition, following the teacher, following this, following that. Which could be seemingly dumbing uh, one's one's, uh, individuality or inquiry. But part of it is to to just witness uh, this one's own subjective takes on things yeah. and how important they become. The views, the ideas, the opinions, and how not they shouldn't have them, but just how you know what they're about, really. Something like chanting, you know, certainly a bit through all kinds of things with that. First of all, why bother anyway? And then what's this funny language? Why not do it in sensible language? You understand what's going on. Why do it every day? Why not now and then when you feel feel like it, when you feel like a bit of a celebration or something, you know, special thing? Why do it every day? Why do the same thing every day? <laughs> You know, and then uh, you know things like that, and so the uh, just the, the the pressure of that, and stir, stirring up the mind.
and it reveals some uh, sense of uh, you know this this uh, sense one has for the new, the fresh, you know, or or you know making up my own little ditty. We could chant, you know, we could chant something else, my own little thing. We could chant. So, but what covers all that up is this. Uh, is it, is it, is it, we don't really see that. We don't really see that that urge for the new, the fresh, the interesting, the stimulating, or the way I like to do it. Why do I have to do it in a monotone? Why do I have to do it, you know, and all this? So then, why do, why does why does he chant so badly? Why doesn't he ever remember the chant? You know, so you don't, you don't. So all these kind of latent ill will <laughs> and passion can sort of just is, is normally covered as a tendency because we can keep shifting to the new, the different. So we don't see the restlessness because. An average person will naturally keep shifting the situation to fit what feels right now, and that seems totally logical. And yeah, then why? Why in retreats? Not just in monasteries, but in retreats, you do you have this routine. Routine is like the death row of. <laughs> Experienced <laughs> of interest, interest and in innovation. Why do we put interest and innovation into a into a prison cell? Looking at the same thing, you know. Long retreats, three months, longer even. Same things because that, in a way, so it starts to peel away. This, uh, the, the coverings. Actually, it's not annoying. It's not there to annoy. It's not there to bore or frustrate or disappoint or crush yeah, anything. It's not there because it's so wonderful. It's not there because it's the best thing in the world to be doing. It's not there because this is the only way and everybody should salute and love this. No, it's just something that happens, like the sun, the moon, the wind, the rain, it's just something that happens. It goes on. Yeah. And when we come to that recognition that things in themselves are not under my say, not they're not the world doesn't actually rotate around me. You know, with what I feel like, then, you know, the polite phrase is the fox is in the in the chi- in the chicken house. You know, this thing starts squawking. You know, why is it such an issue? Why is it such a problem? So we keep investigating that.
because this is where routines and structures tend to, to peel away the delusion. That's why they're so much a part of what we do. Peeling away is not always such a pleasant process. So yeah, you know, it's it's always it's always balanced. There's time to be on one's own, free stuff. You know, new things happen. There's time for that, and yet we basically commit to a, a routine as part of it, as the bones of it, and it keeps presenting us with the, you know, having this delusion or the, of the egocentricity seen as it's demanding and hungry and um, irritable. It doesn't get what it wants. It starts to get a bit snappy or gloomy or depressed or frustrated or goes down. So it's sometimes it's, it's a translating from this covering up the, the, of the delusion faculty to back to base things like sense of ill will or irritability or craving. And then, okay, now we're actually hitting, hitting the real stuff. And then you get to recognize, is it really that bad? Mm-hmm. And then working with the, the, the feelings, the energies of ill will or irritation or grumpiness or so on. Yeah. There was a city of 10,000 Buddhas and they're more in, in California, their morning chanting is about three hours. And it goes, starts at three. Three, three or three thirty goes on till about six thirty or seven, and that's all it is. It isn't any sitting quietly. You just, and it's not just chanting, but uh, bowing. So you, you chant, you say a few words, and you get down, in, in the, and it's it's not just sitting bowing. You're standing up, and you go down. So then your robes fall off, and you get up, put them back on again, because they got their special. They get kitted up. The Theravada robes continue falling off when you do all this stuff. So you do this for like three hours every morning. <laughs> Not just on good, on every day. And you're chanting to praising the patriarchs, the bodhisattvas, the Buddhas of all the directions. Mahayana, I mean, you know, they didn't go one Buddha, they got everything's a Buddha. Bodhisattvas, way protectors, dhamma guardians, patriarchs, all genders, all types, and amazing Buddhas. Not just go to a Buddha, but things like one that really got me was one called Flaming Shoulders Buddha. Buddha, I was just kind of stuck with this idea of praising the Flaming Shoulder Buddha. Wow, what's that like? But you only do it for a few seconds, and another one pops up behind it. Well, you're doing this, you know. And then after that, we would then do the um, uh, mantra recitation, which goes on all, all morning. You know, so you know, like. Uh, four hours of Namo Amitabha Buddha. In the afternoon, just for a break, you do the same thing. In the evening, more chanting and bowing, stuff like that. 
So naturally, one was the point of this, you know, where's the samadhi, where's the calm, where's the stillness, where's the introspection, you know. Admittedly, not many people survive <laughs> that kind of thing. And uh, they're saying that they they also had the um, bowing pilgrimages, three steps, one bow, you take one, two, three steps, then bow, full-length prostration, get up, one, two, three steps, then full-length prostration. And uh, some did it for two and a half years, going up the West Coast from Los Angeles to San Francisco along Route 1, I think, or 101. So, you know, with trucks passing by. I mean, you know, from morning it's quite interesting, I'm sure, but six months every day, you know, grinding away, people throwing beer cans at them. <laughs> you know, that's what it, then you, you know, it takes you deep past the, the convenience and the comfort that, that our, our normal self-sense presents us with. And you can see, essentially, when you make that commitment, where's the suffering? I remember Ajahn Sumedho saying when he went to Wat Ba Pong, he'd been a novice in Nongkai, and he, a lot of time, being a Westerner, privileged, he left on his own, didn't have to take part in things, so he could meditate, get in these really nice, blissful states. He felt he needed some training, so he went to Wat Ba Pong. And there, uh, there was a lot of training in, in uh, attention to detail, making robes, sitting class, going arms round. So there wasn't all this time to be on one's own and meditate. And you have to sweep, sweep the monastery, which is sandy. So that, that area of Thailand is is sand, very sandy. The soil is almost complete pure sand. So you sweep and it's clouds of dust. And it's hot, so the dust sticks to your sweaty skin. And you're inhaling dust, you're sweeping, 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 sweeping. And the next day you do it again because leaves fall down on the ground and you've got to sweep again. So you do this every day. And he gets so angry having to waste his time sweeping these leaves. Yeah. And then Ajahn Charles said, oh, sweeping leaves is a lot of suffering, isn't it? In this kind of, in this humorous way, you know, a lot of suffering, sweeping leaves, isn't it? What's he mean by that? <laughs> Is sweeping a leaf suffering? Mm. So we start to distinguish between the physical. Pain, suffering, and the, what the mind makes of things. So the mind can generate suffering out of tedium, out of not getting what we want. So, well, let's change that. Well, let's not have tedium. And let's everybody get what they want. <laughs> then we won't have any more suffering. 
But of course, it, it doesn't quite work that way. Because whatever you do, I remember when I was, I was traveling, when, before I became a monk, so it's very, so very interesting because you're going somewhere new most every, every week or so, you know, being one country and then, well, this is kind of interesting and then you get on a bus or hitchhike and you get 500 miles away somewhere else, this is really interesting and different. I was noticing the sense of being interested was getting less and less. So it would take about a week before a place got boring. Then it would take maybe three days before a place got boring. Then it would take maybe a day before it got boring. Then it was boring as soon as I got there. It was boring. <laughs> it just... Because <laughs> knew, I knew exactly the kind of thing you're going to do. Go to some cheap hotel, wander around, look at things... You know, drink the local tea or coffee, whatever it was. Talk to the same people about the great place that you were last week and the great place you'll be in the future. You know, the other people who are travelling around. God, this is tedious. You know, and it was like the. You know, the what? That was really what triggered me into into monastic life. Just seeing that the the duration of interest in the new dwindling dwindling and dwindling dwindling there wasn't anything new it was just different shakes of the same old mix sight, sound, touch da 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 there we go again shake it around a bit more same old thing shake it around a bit more same old thing you know another thing to go wow that's great the same old thing it's nibida, they call it, like you're getting wearing out with following that, the new. So that, well, just, just hold the mind still. Stop this, just this running. And all of that running was definitely aimed at my welfare. It was not aimed to harm anybody else. It was not abusive. You know, it was not aim, it was not malice, malicious kind of obviously of sense appetites involved with that, but just realizing that there's there's the delusion of believing in following the mind's reflexes, and it's a difficult one to shake because okay, you know you come out of that, then maybe you try something you know you can try another. Uh, another realm, you know. Studying things, I mean, studied quite a lot. Okay, know this, I know that, I know this, I know that, I remember this, I remember that. And then, yeah, okay, so I've got some new stuff rattling around in my head. Well, <laughs> you know, and then even with meditation, you know, you get some nice calm spaces, some bright spaces, and then, yeah, okay been through not exhausted that but you get the feeling for not the things in themselves but the habit of wanting to find something to to get bonded to you know that will take me somewhere good whether it's a bus or a train or a drug or a whatever (laughs) or a person that would take me somewhere good and that's that's what of course a lot of our Stuff's about, isn't it? Take me to the good place. And then with 
then delusion, is there one? Well, yeah, how good is it? Ooh. And naturally, you know, you don't want to ruin things by saying the good things are not that good, because they're pretty good. There's some really good, interesting things there, around, plenty of them. But, uh, and it comes to each other individually in their own time, a sense of, it's never good enough, is it? You know, we want another one, one more, change it, redecorate it, brush it up, push it a bit further, this way, that way, it's never enough. Mm-hmm. So then our attention shifts from the objects to the reflexes. What if that reflex of having and getting rid of could be explored, calmed, steadied, looked into, questioned? What really are you going to get? What are you really going to get rid of? What will it, where will it take you? And is there anywhere else? Mm-hmm. And it's the takes us to the dimension, the domain of relinquishment, which you know, in, when we is experienced, talked about in those terms, because from this side of it, that's what it is. It's a relinquishment. From the other side of it, it's fulfilment. It's like the fulfilment, the peace, the completion, the island, the refuge, the secure, the steady, the unborn, the deathless. From this side of it, it's having to give up something. (laughs) Mm. From the other side of it, it's, it's expressed differently. So we investigate. And because this uh, delusion, these are very strong words, aren't they? The Buddha paints them in fluorescent paint. It's not like fancying something and being a little bit disappointed. It's greed and hatred. (laughs) Because these are just, you know, these are strong potencies of things that otherwise we tend to, wow, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. When you sit and meditate, those slight disappointments, you can you really, hey, this is not just slight disappointment, this is some push in this thing. This is not just a, an interesting appetite, this is really, there's some push in this. So when we meditate, that already is starting to kind of wear down the veil of delusion. And then you can feel it more strongly. And meditation is often, centers and dharma centers on places where you really see you know into some of the skin comes off and you can feel the rawness of it all so this is why it's um it's not a light easy process it's difficult but then give it wise attention so investigate So we can see that certain things do are conducive to stress, strain, tension, pressure, demand, resistance. 
so difficult to to let go of until the Dhamma Vijaya is you begin to what actually is this thing and it's a memory, an interpretation, a perception, a thought, an energy. Taken on its own, any one of those is just, you know, when they bind together, they make up a, a strong fetter or a kilesa, you know, around peanut butter or mopping the floor, you know, or something like that, or sharing a room, who knows, where all kinds of little messages get linked up to something that's got a lot of personal potency in it, you know. Food can be something you can just feel yourself being able to dive into and dwell in and uh, lovely flavours and the abating of the hunger and the feeling of satisfaction and the sense of something being taken in and given and, you know, something coming this way instead of having to struggle for it and feeling full up. A whole range of different feelings and perceptions in there. But every one of them is, is it so? Is it actually so, or is it just supported by the others? So investigate. When you look in your bowl, what do you see? You see colours. Okay? Colours. So? <laughs> colours are colours. You know? That's what we're seeing, isn't it? But then interpretation is, oh, look, there's the, there's that, there's that, you know? You go through the uh, the line for the food. You can see the different basins of things and um, the colours there, the shapes. See some cake with fluffy cream on it, and chocolate or something. Sanya, the perception of lovely, sticky, sweet, delightful. You know, how what? What's that? Where's that? Is that in the cake, or is it in? Is, is it in me? It's it's the coming together. The sanya percept is dependently arisen. We infer a kind of an experience that hasn't happened. One time, I saw so when I was going through the um, arms round liner, I saw this nice chocolate eclair. Oh, it looks really good. I'll pop that in. I went back to my kuti, I think, sitting, eating. And I was sitting, eating, and I thought I'd save this eclair till last, kind of in one part of the bowl, it would kind of be unsullied by other things. <laughs> and I was eating the meal, and I thought, as I was eating, I was thinking about something or the other, and then I realised I'd eaten it. I'd already eaten it. <laughs> I noticed it. That's my mind thinking about something else. <laughs> that, that little bit of treasured, you know, thing that I sort of portioned off one part of the world, I hadn't even noticed it <laughs> when I ate it. Because <laughs> the mind was somewhere else at the time, you know, distraction, thinking about something. Wow, you know, how, how real is that? How guaranteeable is that? You get the 
chocolate eclair and you sit down that's going to give you happiness you might even not even notice it or that it's not the taste isn't quite what you imagined you know it's not as sweet or as something or the other so we start to look at food as just well okay this is food putting it in the body to keep it going which is true and how much you need so this is where we start to develop uh, more and more uh, attention and analysis how we're wired what gets us excited interested enthused what makes us feel you know certainly traveling was great for checking out one's food preferences before I started traveling I had the, I was on a macrobiotic diet which was just you know carefully proportions of brown rice and a bit of seaweed and maybe a chestnut or two and you've got it exactly figured out it's great but then you start going through Afghanistan you know seaweed <laughs> brown rice is basically sheep's head <laughs> and boiled rice you could either have sheep, uh, boiled rice with sheep's head or boiled rice without sheep's head <laughs> So that was the end of that, you know. Eventually you found you could eat just about anything, really. I mean, not that you can enjoy it all, but eventually it, then the whole taste thing just kind of gave up. <laughs> I didn't particularly like Thai food, but that, in Thailand, what are you going to eat? <laughs> so the perceptions of, you know, all that, certainly shit, get a good work over so it always is just about following rather than controlling and this is where we'll you know the idea of a monastery is that there's a lot of things you don't have a lot of say over and in monastic training there's a lot more but still you know we can still it's just a skeleton you can still find places where you can and you know Get it, get it the way you like it, have it the way you want it. Fair enough, because then it's we're not. It's not here to be a, some kind of prison system or regulation. It's here to give enough sense of what what the regulation, the following is about, and then you investigate for yourself the rest of it. Investigate for yourself. You know, so you're not trying to be puritanical, but just to understand. You know. To clear away the delusions, so these ones more honest and open about one's passions and aversions. And this is where we start to work through these things. Mm-hmm. So then you take something, because at least the passions and aversions that we are left with are things that are not going to cause a lot of damage to ourselves or others. It's not like snorting cocaine or. <laughs> can't do that <laughs> but, but you could have eight spoonfuls of coffee mate in your tea if you wanted it <laughs> then you just check it out actually what, what, what's that about you know what am I doing is that what, what am I trying to fulfill here what is it does it do it uh-huh. yeah. or just saying I'm just going to drink rainwater you know I don't want to have to deal with that experience. Is that going to do it? You know? The celibacy, does that stop sexuality? I don't think so. It gives you a way of really contemplating it. 
So food, you know, people, things, give us ways to look at these experiences of, of interest, excitement, irritation, boredom, so forth. So at least you, you take away the veil. What's the, what is it made of? A lot of it is just uh, mythologies, aren't they? There's perceptions of uh, the satisfying or the delightful. When you investigate them, it's you know. I used to think I could smoke a cigar. I used to smoke when I was a lay person, and I used to like these strong-flavored French cigarettes, Gitane and Gauloise. It's really strong-flavored. I could just smoke a, one of those, just, you know, the fulfillment that we experience. <laughs> I don't think I could even handle it. There's the smell of tobacco now, it just makes me feel sick. <laughs> you know, the system's got sensitized. But the, the sanya that can still be aroused by even the kind of whiff of such things, that's the desirable. Or a cigar or something like that, it's the desirable. The sanya of putting burning leaves in your mouth and inhaling smoke and yet it, 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 it's, it rem, it's reminiscent of ease, relaxation free, carefree slightly bohemian you know, it's got those qualities in it which are, where is all that mythology that's a lot of style is about that isn't it the way you wear our, you know, people wear their hats or their presents certain you know one is carefree, one is, you know, tough or whatever it is. What is that? You monks, you can get the guy with the most ragged robe. He's got a little more street cred. really good, he's got 15 patches on his robe, he's really, you know, austere. What is all this? So we investigate these things and uh, there's enough, there's plenty in this, this simpleness of our lives. I mean, we can investigate Sophocles and Plato and Kalidash or you know, kinds of wonderful things out there. But really what we need to investigate for our for Nibbana anyway is our passions, our resistances, our aversions, or sometimes buried under the, the veil of the habitual 
or the boring or the convenient. When we start to check the convenient, go with the habitual, <laughs> then the, the veils come off when we start to, you know, get to the places where which really, if we release that, we can experience something far more fulfilling than um, greed and aversion provide us with, far more comfortable than delusion provides us with. This is the supreme value investigation.